What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knocks. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. And we have a special all-Hardwood Knocks edition of the podcast today. Rather than going over the traditional all-NBA teams, which we will be doing in a later episode, uh, we're going to be going over the players who we enjoyed watching most. This is different than the awards conversation, which we will actually be doing on Locker Room this Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern. So please join us there for that. We're definitely excited to go over all the biggest awards. But again, this is not that. We're looking at the players who entertained us the most, who made us want to watch them the most, who put up big numbers in an entertaining way. However you define it, that's how we approach this. Dan, was it a fun exercise, an enjoyable one? How did you, how did you personally approach this? I think it was really enjoyable. It it was definitely interesting, though, to the extent of how it made me think of measuring enjoyment because I there is that natural pull to stars and the big names. But you also, when you really think about this, you start to realize there are just players. Maybe some of them are offbeat. Maybe they're more middle of the road. who You just still really enjoy watching. And so I'm still personally, when you look at my first team, let's say, I gravitated towards stars there because like those are the players I'm watching most frequently. But as I got deeper, I think you even noted about my third team. It's there is like a finer appreciation for it. And I did try to weight that where it's like, just because as a spoiler, like LeBron James didn't make any one of my teams. It's not that I don't enjoy watching LeBron James. It's there are people that he gets enough shine. And so especially after my first team, I tried to focus on those who I just wanted to, to highlight that maybe weren't necessarily obvious inclusions you know what's really interesting about lebron james here is we incorporated fan voting for this as well so the all hardwood knox team is determined by my ballot which counts for a third dan's ballot which counts for a third and fan submissions because we asked you on twitter or wherever else you are engaging with the hardwood knox account the nba math account to submit your own all hardwood knox teams and we compiled those and then created the overall composite rankings that are the all hardwood knox team so again equal parts between myself dan and the fans lebron did not get love from anyone he was not on my list uh he actually didn't even make my honorable mention this season i had i ended up writing down 36 names as i was trying to cull this down to 15 um the fans also did not vote him on theirs he finished 21st in the fan vote uh, which was really surprising to me. I figured that the name value alone, especially considering the fan vote tended to gravitate a little bit more towards stars than either you or I did, Dan. I, I thought that he would be higher in that one. I'm surprised he fell outside the top 20 to fan vote. I'm also surprised that you only had 37 players written down as the initial thing. Well, I had like 38 down, and then you told me to remove Dylan Brooks. Yeah, I don't. I can't believe you enjoy watching Dylan Brooks. I enjoy watching his defense, and then I close my eyes and don't watch while he has the ball. Except, I mean, there are probably some nights though where you really could enjoy when he does have the ball. I guess that's the appeal of Dylan Brooks. Yeah, kind of like the the car crash theory. 
can't take your eyes off it. And then there's also a chance that maybe something good will happen too. Also, I, I didn't actually remove him from my honorable mentions, despite your disapproval. I didn't even come up with honorable mentions. I deleted everyone off my Google spreadsheet once I pinned it down to my final 15. And I will say, no, I'll wait till I get to him. But one player ended up on two different teams. There was the same. I didn't keep it that way. But when I went through it to proof it before I sent it to you, <laughs> I had the same player list. That's how much that I enjoy watching said player. I'm going to be very curious to, to hear who that is. But do you want to start from the first team or the third team here? Ooh. I don't know. What do you think? I think we should start from the first team. That works for me. Okay. So, yeah, we're going to – these followed the traditional all-NBA format, which the the validity of that is a, a topic for another time. Um, shout out to Joel Embiid there. Uh, but it does have two guards, two forwards, and a center. And the forwards and the centers are, are kind of interchangeable now more than ever. So I think both of us like, kind of cheated a little bit at times there. And – and validly so, I, I believe, because we wanted to get our favorite guys in there. But let's start with our first team guards. Uh, we had one in common across the board. So our, our first entry on the All Hardwood Knox team is Steph Curry, who made the first team for me, made the first team for you, and made the first team for the fans. And among fans, he was actually the second highest vote getter of any player. There, I don't know that there's another player in the NBA that realistically, I'll probably say some hyperbolic shit throughout this podcast that I enjoy watching more than Stephen Curry. One of my favorite basketball players to watch of all time. And I think clearly my favorite player to watch in the, in the NBA right now. I mean, there have been moments stretches where it's, I don't even want to name their names because they're coming up. There are players who are close to equally as enjoyable, but Stephen Curry is just like this perpetually erupting volcano who bucks everything up for opposing defenses even if he doesn't have the ball and that's just to watch someone to have the impact on the rest of the court not even what he's doing off the ball which he can be pinballing and coming off screens and relocating doing all these things but watching just the shift of the geometry of the court or how other players are acting on the court when he doesn't have the ball it's really fun absolutely i mean spoiler alert but nikola Jokic makes this team as well and he's going to be the runaway MVP, and deservedly so. But Steph Curry was the first name I wrote down. It had to be. Like there, There is no more enjoyable player in the league right now. He has almost single-handedly carried the Warriors back to relevance this season, despite the injuries they've suffered, despite the poor roster construction around him, to put it kindly. And he's just had a blast doing it. And it's so readily apparent every time he takes the floor. And you know, even even as he's greeted with these nightly double and triple teams, and we even saw a quadruple team, like a legitimate quadruple team the other night, he still finds a way to just shoot flames out of that right wrist. It's unbelievable the shots that he's able to make on a consistent basis that would be foolish for like basically any other player in the NBA to even dream about attempting. A few exceptions, sure. You know, like you're not going to be shocked if Dame Lillard pulls up from three feet inside the half court line. You're not going to be surprised if Luka Doncic attempts a ridiculous step back over an outstretched hand. But Steph does those so routinely that he still manages to play effortlessly despite this incredibly high energy output that he has to exert on a nightly basis just to extricate him from a defense. I don't know that I could add anything to that. We've Stephen Curry is enjoyable to watch. That we there was a comment. We're breaking news here. Yeah, there was a commenter in our reviews that said we need to be spicier with our takes. There it is. 
All right, Steph Curry, the first inclusion. The second was not unanimous. Uh, you and I both had LaMelo Ball on our first team. The fans had Luka Doncic in this second spot, so we did get to overrule the fans here. Luka will be showing up later. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't... LaMelo Ball was also the first guard included on the second team for the fans. So it's not like we're like totally superseding the opinion of the voters here. I mean, it's it's not quite as much as Steph, but it's pretty darn clear how enjoyable he is when he's making those underhand flip passes the length of the court and just showing that he has eyes in the back of his head on every single possession and just the the joy that he plays with as a rookie and the impact he's already been able to make on the Charlotte Hornets was so palpable from the very start until he broke his wrist and even since he's returned. There's a nonchalantness to the way, a nonchalance to the way he plays that you see it with Nikola Jokic too. You know, I'm not saying that they don't try or that this is easy for them, but they make the exceedingly difficult look impossibly easy, effortless. And so I can't get enough of that. And like you said, the, the full court passes that look like they're just flicks of the wrist basically, or like those underhanded tosses, uh, the, the decisions he can make after he leaves his feet, uh, he can even he, he can go to opposing offenses into turnovers too. I think that's been what's sort of pleasantly surprising is that I think we mentioned this on a previous podcast. There have been a few rookies that have made better, much better than expected impacts on defense. I think that he is one of them. I'm so interested to see how his career progresses from here because if he becomes more of just like a flashier off the dribble finisher or shooter like that how are you ever supposed to take your eyes off of that player you're not and the other thing about him he makes everyone else on the team so much more fun too miles bridges for example has always been entertaining because of the turbo jet hops that he has and and is able to exhibit on a nightly basis but he's done so much more so much more frequently because he spent so much time with LaMelo Ball, that Bridges was one of my honorable mentions here. He got some votes from the fans. Uh, that impact alone helps justify LaMelo's presence here. And I should also say that he ended up ninth in the fan vote. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to add to that. I am surprised he didn't <laughs> end up on the first team for the fans. There's, there is, when looking at the fans team, I think there's probably only one inclusion that actually surprises me, and they're all justifiable. But I am still a little bit surprised. I thought... I pretty much thought there was going to be like a consensus top five here. Yeah, I kind of did as well. Um, but we did have another near consensus uh, with the first forward spot. You and I both had Zion Williamson, who was on the second team for fans. And among the fan votes, he ended up ranking eighth. Um, so I'm not surprised by that one either. Again, we're kind of gravitating towards stars on this first team. But how can you not enjoy watching Zion play basketball? Just the effortless power that he exhibits on a nightly basis and the glides to the rim and the offhand finishes and the inability of any defender to stay in front of him, especially once New Orleans started featuring him more as that primary playmaker, which I think really allowed his game to just jump to that next level almost immediately after the, the role shift happened. Yeah, the putting the ball in his hands more, aside from giving the Pelicans a, a blueprint for the future, just the results were absurd. And this is someone who doesn't have a perimeter game that, yeah, he could work from the outside in. And one of the things that I don't think it's surprising, but it's definitely underappreciated when looking at his game because everyone just considers him this force of nature. 
there's more variance in how he's attacking them. Like, he can use angles. He can change directions. He's just not barreling straight through these guys. Even when he doesn't have the ball and he's, like, going up for an alley-oop, like, they're not even always, like, these straight-line paths that he's taking. So the way he moves on or off the ball is not is incredible. So he doesn't receive enough credit for that. The passing acumen, it's clearly there. I would love to see what happens if he's working with more space in the half court because New Orleans has not been a good shooting team. There just might be more highlight plays in store, maybe more highlight passes even. But as my original point that I was making and then just took a huge-ass detour off of, this is someone who doesn't have an outside game. Doesn't shoot. Just like it's not a, it's not a thing. It's not a part of his game. And yet he has like a true shooting percentage of a zillion. How do you... It's not even, I know he's getting to the rim at all time frequency, but he's also like, he shouldn't, I don't know if he should be finishing at as high as a clip because of the the contact he's absorbing. I do think there's probably something to, I know you probably saw David Griffin complaining a week or so ago. After I was going to ask you about it right after this. Yeah. I, referees don't know how to officiate him. And I do think that's clear. Yeah, it's the shot conundrum. But it's like something entirely different because you're upping the volume as well. And this is just a, this is just a body type that we've never Shaq was never this mobile and was never operating like that from the from the outside in too which probably makes it more difficult it's almost like this might be a terrible comparison because I never thought it's like Shaq and LeBron rolled into one almost when you're looking at LeBron's agility sure I can go with that Shaq's build so so enjoyable to watch and he's so much more than just those dunks it's just the entire play from when you put the ball in his hands start to finish it's an absolute joy to watch I'm totally on board with him not being officiated properly and still managing to thrive to such an extent on the interior that it's just even more impressive that he's able to do that. I was a little bit surprised that he was not even higher in the fan vote. He, if you had to, let's say if we had to narrow three players that had to be consensus first team, I would have had Steph, Zion, and then I I might have had Jokic over Lamelo, but like one of those I would those four yeah. I just thought were non negotiable basically. Yeah, I figured Zion would be a lock as well, but I guess like still eighth overall, not too shabby. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns, legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history, relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary The Kings. A four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. The other forward on the consensus first team, you're laughing a lot about that. But I feel like I don't know if people are going to be surprised who made my own first team. I'm just thinking about the conversation that's to come. I apologize. No, I'm, I'm glad that you're just hyping this, this reveal up a little bit more. Unsurprisingly, the consensus first team forward joining Zion is Giannis Antetokounmpo, who was third in the fan vote, so obviously on the first team. He was on my first team as well. I'm scanning Dan's first team. He's not there. I'm scanning his second team. He's not there. And he's not on the third team either. So your first team forward is fan favorite and especially Dan favorite, Chris Boucher. And he is the guy that made two teams. I had him on first and second. It wasn't so. I don't know. I figured he might be the first name you wrote down. He well, he he was one of the first names I wrote down before I sorted them into teams. Um, I think I was grappling with whether I was brave enough to put him in first team. And look, Chris Boucher won. Um, there's some tomfoolery going on here. He spent most of his minutes at center, but he's also played alongside other bigs. 
So I'm letting, you know, if Joel Embiid can qualify as a forward on All-NBA, Chris Boucher can qualify as a forward on the All-Hardwood Knox team. That's all. That's my logic here. I don't before know you, you don't before you continue. I feel I feel compelled to say that Chris Boucher does actually make the composite ranking solely because of you. Like he was in my honorable mentions. He was 26th in the fan voting, so just barely missed the cut for their third team. But he does make our third team center spot, um, thanks to your best efforts. How many? So how many ballots was he on overall? Uh, he was on. He was on 13% of ballots. That's not insubstantial. It's not. But now, the... I don't know how many of those were your submissions. <laughs> Fair enough. Did you get the ballot that was just 15 Chris Boucher's? Yeah, I deleted that one along with the one that was all Mavericks for the third time. Also, under before I actually get into why I picked him, well, I guess this factors into it too. Swatterboy is a fantastic nickname. I'm sorry. That's just absolutely a fantastic nickname. Uh, look. He has, if you care, if you care about numbers at all in this, shooting over sixty percent on his twos, over thirty eight point three percent on threes, almost two blocks per game in under twenty five minutes. You want a shot blocking floor spacing center who can also sort of he's not the hardest roller to the basket, but he got really good at navigating the seams off the ball, whether he was coming from the corner or actually coming off a screen. He is really good. He deserved more love in the six man of the year discussion before his injury. He still leads the league, I believe, in blocked jumpers despite going down with that injury. And he's going to wind up playing. And I mean, I say just 60 games, but the season's only going to be 72 games. So given what the Raptors have gone through, that's actually really impressive. That's the thing that I enjoy watching most is there is like an unhinged element to his game where it's like, oh, okay, he can still get into foul trouble and take too many risks and his closeouts could be just absolute anarchy. But I appreciate those closeouts, that effort of knowing that even if he is at the elbow or if he's in the restricted area and you think you're about to take a jump shot, like Chris Boucher is going to come out and try and block that shot. I absolutely love that energy. And I also think what I've latched onto the fact is I don't think he's been appreciated enough I'm not going to throw Raptors fans into here, but nationally, it was just, oh, the Raptors need a big, they need a big. I get it. Like, he's just not going to be this guy who helps you rebound a ton. Uh, they, they're more inclined to put OG Ananobi on a five than him, it feels like, defensively sometimes. I really don't care. Chris Bruchet is one of the most enjoyable players to watch in the NBA. I would call him my foremost guilty pleasure, but I don't feel bad about this at all. So he's just an, my, my outright, unconditional, no-strings-attached pleasure. I make no apologies for putting him on my all hardwood knock first team. I wonder how much love the video of, of that monologue is going to get from, from Raptors Twitter. You think that I'll cut that one up. That's the, we're going to, I think you have to. Yeah, I guess I think you have to. Yeah. There was some passion there, but you know, Chris Boucher is included at the expense of Giannis Antetokounmpo, who again, did not make your first, second or third team. I'm just going to assume that this is like MVP fatigue translated to a different exercise because that dude is still a joy to watch the hustle the energy the physicality the athleticism the ridiculous length that allows for plays that no one else can make the dunks that feature an outstretched arm after he starts at the top of the key and picks up his dribble there like everything about his game is made to be ridiculously entertaining and you don't have him on any of the teams Look, I'm going to be honest with you, too, is as I said, like I really committed to the the star bit at the top and then tried to be dispersed it out more towards the bottom. 
I probably would have had Kyrie here over Giannis. It's not that I don't enjoy watching Giannis. There's just his game feels not on defense so much. There's that fun unpredictability here or there from him, and it's almost always good. I'm not saying he's bad on defense sometimes. The offense is just like, yeah, it's cool. We've seen him get up the court in two steps now, and his finishing at the rim is also ridiculous. The dunking is absurd. He's been better as a passer this year too. I don't know. I need to see him like let's. I don't. I don't know what he needs to add. I'm not saying it's because of his jumper and he takes them. Like he's gonna take those turns and fades, or he'll pull up for three. I'm just maybe it is MVP fatigue, but he wasn't. I didn't view him as a snub. It's if you wanted him on your first team, I get it. But once the focus was pulled off of stars, he needed to be. You know, this wasn't Chris Boucher instead of Giannis Antetokounmpo. It was probably Chris Boucher instead of Kyrie Irving. So, Kyrie Irving as a forward though. Oh, good point. So maybe it was Chris Boucher <laughs> at the expense of Giannis. Oh, Kevin Durant was on my initial list. He might have been in there too. I did have LeBron like- penciled in. You know, there's there's a part of me that likes watching Kawhi operate just as much as Giannis because he's Kawhi's just so damn methodical on both ends of the floor. I it again, maybe it's taken as an insult, but I'm going to appreciate. You know, I'm a fan of chaos, and Chris Boucher is like controlled chaos almost. All I'm only, saying but. is that we we have to take this podcast seriously. So like, I just need you to stop drinking so heavily when you're putting together this kind of stuff. I have not had a sip of alcohol since October 2018. If you're talking about the caffeine I'm currently consuming at the moment, even though it's 11 p.m. Eastern time as we're recording this, then fair. That's basically what I meant. Anyway, moving on. Your Giannis first... justification, I understand why you included him, if, if that helps at all. I don't think it's egregious. I'm like slightly mollified, not fully. People are going to be mad at me again, aren't they? They're, they're there definitely going to be there mad There goes at dumb Dan again. <laughs> Fortunately, you... Much like myself and much like the fans who voted him first overall by a lot had Nikola Jokic as our first team center. And do we like do we even need to justify it at this point? I think we could. We know why, but there's for you. I don't know if this for me, this is how it was. And I don't know if it was the same for you. It's not even just his passing anymore. Like he's scooting by people off the dribble. It's the the, the Sambor shuffle, obviously. But, like, he's become one of the most clutch players in basketball. In And so much more aggressive, too. Yeah, his scoring, you know, when we had the question on the last podcast about why isn't he most improved player, or maybe that was the conversation, I don't think, you know, he's doing a lot of the same things he's always done, just in higher volume. But this, there's the real argument is just the scoring because of how much more aggressive he is. DeMar DeRozan is the only player who has made more baskets in the final two minutes of one possession games. Nicole Jokic, is, he's doing everything. And so I, they're going to miss Jamal Murray. I want to make that clear in the postseason. I think his absence will matter more. But like this, we're seeing Joel Embiid do it too because he gets to the foul line a bunch. This idea that you necessarily need that conventional crunch time option in the form of a guard or a wing might be true in some cases. Maybe it's even true for Denver. We'll have to see this this you know once the playoffs are rolling around. But the things he's doing, and to be so... He's so freaking quick. And he's in... You know, I don't think we're giving enough credit to him. He's in the best shape of his life after going through the shortest offseason in sports history. There were two teams that had a shorter offseason than the Nuggets. Maybe three. I can't remember when the Eastern Conference Finals ended. I think it's only two, though. So, just th- that, it didn't push him over the top, but it's just like a wrinkle in his game where it's, oh, he's getting past people on face-ups and off the dribble. That's just why. That baseline, that spin to the baseline is just unstoppable at this point. Like, if, if he feels your hand on the wrong hip, 
you're just toast. Even if and if and if you provide help, like you know that he's gonna find the guy that was helped off of. He's he's just unstoppable on that low block now. And there's even his post game commentary where he talks about like the bond he has with Mike Malone. Like part of watchability for me is are they gonna hit me in the fields? And Nicole Jokic maybe some of it will get lost in translation. But, like, he'll hit me in the fields. There's another player on here that will that has definitely hit me in the fields multiple times. But, like, that's so cool. And then, yeah, there is his passing. Like, those are just – how many passes a game does he throw where you're just like, he did that? Did he really just do that? Well, I think my follow-up question is how many passes per game does he throw? Because that's the answer. <laughs> Fair enough. I thought you were going to give me a real over-under question there. Oh, definitely not. This is this is definitely one of our our least numbers based episodes, I would say. Which is definitely why I cited uh, final two minutes of crunch time play. Yeah, but I mean, I get that. You know, if you find close games exciting, like some people do. It's also because I was writing something and I happened to just know that. That's not even pulled up on my computer, right? See, that's an unfair advantage you have over me these days. But uh, still, well, but still, I mean, I, I'm not way, I'm not the one referred to as the dumb guy. The fact that I write, yeah, I was gonna say, just means I have one more job in which people need to call <laughs> for me to lose it. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. We just, we want those calls to get more creative. Like, if they're going to come, like, let's at least, like, show a little more creativity these days. Maybe that's my, I that's my plea to our listeners. And actually be more hostile in the takes that I'm giving where I'm, I'm not trying to play a character right now where I'm spitting out these takes. And by the way, one of the things that people took issue with was Isaiah Stewart over Emmanuel Quickly for first team all rookie. I actually, I absolutely agree with that after watching Emmanuel Quickly a little bit more since then. Um, I was working on something where I was watching past highlights, and then he came back against the, I think it was the Knicks beating the Spurs. I would absolutely have Emmanuel quickly over Isaiah Stewart on first team all rookie now. I don't apologize for having Facundo Campazzo over you know Sadiq Bay or giving Jaden McDaniel credit for second team all NBA when he's been as good. That's besides the point, though. I clearly need to be. I'm not trying to be a troll, but maybe that's the problem. Pete Kennedy, if you're listening to this episode, first of all, we appreciate it as always, and and second of all, we in the last week we have generated a much more definitive answer to which of us gets more hate on Twitter. <laughs> I'm just that feels agree. like a good segue to the second team. Right, and I think from here on, I'm changing all my teams to just agree with yours to minimize the hate <laughs> that I'm going to get. That's how, that's how fragile I am right now. It's a cowardly, cowardly play, but I'll respect it if you do it, except I won't. Anyway, the second team. Uh, there, there's going to be a lot more deviation here. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how the hell I'm going to present all of this information. So just bear with me as that changes. Let's give the fans the special treatment. Why don't you read theirs first? Well, I'm just I'm going down our composite list because that's in order oh. of of who got the most overall points. Gotcha. So we are going to start with the one that the fans carried into this spot, which is Russell Westbrook. He was 10th in the fan vote, actually tied with LaMelo Ball for 9th, but because Dan and I also had LaMelo Ball, he won the overall tiebreaker and got that first team spot. Um, I I had Russell Westbrook as my third team guard. He did not appear on yours. Um, I guess we should go to you to justify that first. It's the same thing with Giannis Antetokounmpo. It's I did veer away from something <laughs> stars, and I don't know that I've... I enjoyed watching Russell Westbrook during his MVP campaign because it was just, he actually was Russ against the world. That play style has graded on me a little bit. I've enjoyed him immensely this season, particularly during the the closing kick run with the Wizards. And I've never, I guess I've been lower on him than the consensus. And I think you've been there too. I've never not enjoyed watching him though. Just the way that he has played, it has 
sort of chipped away at, at my enjoyment a bit, but I also do appreciate the energy with which he does play on, on every single night. It's just, that's definitely unmatched. It's, you know, there's a thing with him. There's a thing with Giannis, although Russ's doesn't always apply to defense. They take like every possession personal. It feels like, and that's how they play it. That was basically like a theme for my overall selections. If you go through the non-stars who gained admission to my ballot, it's, very much those guys who don't take possessions off, who are just going to blow you away with their hustle and their more hidden contributions on a nightly basis. I totally get not having Russ here just because the way that he plays can be grating. There are nights when it just flat out doesn't work and he wants to keep shooting and makes these mental mistakes. But you can be 100% sure that he is never taking a possession off, much less a game. And that counts for so much, and it's why this Wizards season has been turned around. It's why you suddenly have people arguing in the comment sections that maybe Bradley Beal isn't the best player on the Wizards anymore, which I still think he is. I don't think he's been the most valuable player on the Wizards this year, and that's part of what has made Westbrook so entertaining. It's just that relentless, indefatigable motor that he plays with every time he hits the court because he can't help but take everything personally in like kind of that Michael Jordan motivational way. And maybe also the thing that I didn't mention before and you saying this about me and Giannis, where is it MVP fatigue? I'm not going to say it's not. I do have him. He's going to be in the top three of my MVP ballots. I didn't think I had MVP fatigue, but with Russ, it's almost just like, I'm exhausted from the discussion about Russ over the past half decade, essentially. And that's not his fault. I just, maybe that's contributing to this too. I, you know, so, but yeah, I don't begrudge anyone who has him here. I totally, I totally get, but it also me leaving off Giannis and Russ kind of makes sense because when you look at how they play in the open floor, Russ is basically if Giannis were a guard type. You're definitely consistent. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. And I, I totally understand that argument. Um, but oh, we are going to move. I guess I need to name who I did or no, you let's, who did you have? Yeah. How do we want to handle that? Let's, let's not reveal those until the end and we'll go over our final ballots and kind of talk about anyone we skipped over. Okay. Does that work? Works for me. Sweet. So we we're going to move to podcast planning. That's what, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're so prepared for this, which I say sarcastically, but at the same time, like we have a very elaborate spreadsheet in front of us tracking all of this. Um, which is not a surprise to anyone who knows me. Uh, anyway, second, the other second team guard in the composite uh, is another guy who does not appear on your list. He also does not appear on mine, but he is in the honorable mentions. This is solely carried by the fan ballot, which had Luka Doncic fourth overall and as a first team guard alongside Steph Curry, which is enough to get him the second team spot. I'm going to guess that your argument against having him is very similar to the Russ and the Giannis one, just a little different in terms of playing style, but it's that same like star level inclusion kind of thing. For me, it was just as entertaining as he is on a nightly basis. Like in, in a weird way that almost worked against him a little bit, just because you know that you can miss some of the highlights because he's going to generate fairly similar ones sometimes. And that was enough to as convoluted as that logic may seem, that was enough for me to want to favor other guys who don't necessarily get as much shine, especially because this whole season, as ridiculously good as Doncic has been, it's also like had this slight undercurrent of disappointment 
because the Mavericks were supposed to ascend to a higher tier of the Western Conference, and Doncic was the MVP favorite going into the season. And I think because we were expecting even more from him, it made the ridiculously high level at which he's playing feel a little bit disappointing. There's, And I think for my ballot specifically, I've clearly shown that I either favor this suddenness when you're looking at Zion Williamson specifically or LaMelo Ball or just the the brain bending factor which I think Luca definitely has as a passer but his you know his shot selection is not trickery like it is with Stephen Curry when you look at Curry's handles compared to to Luca's and I this exercise sucks because now I feel like I'm just demeaning the way that Doncic plays he's fantastic one of the best passers in the game top five or seven passers in the game already but I probably appreciate a little bit more speed and less you know having less methodology to what you're doing and like yeah there is that unpredictability with Luca when you're looking specifically at his passes or or like yeah you kind of know his three-pointer is coming but there's the nonchalance with he fires it up and I did pick Jokic who is just one of the most deliberate players in the games but that he still feels more unpredictable or sudden than a Doncic or you know I didn't have James Harden on this list or for among those reasons too yeah I mean I didn't have him either I get it it's I, I don't think we need to to frame it as negative though like Luca's gonna get mentioned quite frequently when we're talking about our all NBA teams like it's very easy to appreciate the efficacy of his game the aesthetics as well but maybe it's just the narrative around him right now where I, I just wanted to highlight other guys. And I, I don't hate that he's included, though. I don't, I don't hate that he's included. I also don't hate that we didn't include him ourselves. Fair. We are going to jump to a guy who we carried, though, because only one other person, and if it was you, let us know, had Nicholas Claxton on their ballot at all. Both you and I had him as a second-teamer. I had him at forward. You had him at center. Again, the... Those positional definitions are so amorphous these days that it didn't really matter that much. But that was enough to earn him our first of the two second-team forward spots. Yeah, he's. how do you not enjoy uh, his switchability on defense? And I think the, the flashbulb moment for a lot of people, maybe for myself, is the game where he forced the ball out of Damian Lillard's hands, not once, but twice in crunch time. That's Damian Lillard's hands in crunch time. That's huge. And... He can defend. These weren't like Dame dribbling off his foot either. No, it was actually the ball being forced. He wasn't forcing a turnover. He was just forcing the ball out of um, Damian Lillard's hands. And that's a 21-year-old big man doing that, by the way. WTF would be my reaction. The Nets, they switch liberally overall, but they have not shied to tapping into it with Claxton, so that definitely helps. There is his, you know, I talk about controlled chaos with Chris Boucher. I don't think Claxton has that much of an element, but he, he can be foul-happy as well, but that's also sort of part of the fun because he's taking so many chances or doing things that are so difficult. I think on offense, too, what's taken me by surprise and which I've enjoyed is the comfort with which he'll put the ball on the floor, and it doesn't it does not always end well. I want to make that clear, and that's not necessarily something they need him to do. He probably suffers from cases of doing too much on both ends of the floor. At the same time, it's like his off-the-dribble jaunts are encouraging because he's trying them out. And so I'm very interested to see. He's not just going to be, to me, maybe he won't just be this pick-and-roll guy. Maybe there will be other things that he does. No, I don't think they're going to post him up, even though he loves to really get off those occasional hook shots. But when he is driving, he's not turning the ball over 
a ton? Can he just get better at passing and finishing overall there? Then all of a sudden there's really this super versatile player at both ends of the floor, not just on defense. Yeah, it's all about the energy for me. Just the switchability, the willingness to dive on the floor for loose balls to challenge shots at the rim. Um, if you look at like shots contested per 36 minutes, he's at 15 and a half, which is pretty darn high on the leaderboard among players who are actually in rotations. Uh, he is always active on that end. I do think there's more to plumb on the offensive end, as you mentioned. That doesn't even matter to me. Like it's it's all about the defense here, and I I just have to end with the obligatory go dogs. <laughs> uh, are we gonna we're gonna get to more go dogs too soon? I think we are we are. Uh, but first, we're gonna go with the second of the second team forwards. It's another guy that you and I carried. I had him on my third team. You had him on your second team. He did get one other vote from the fans. So again, if that was you, please identify yourself so we can thank you. Actually, we know who it is. It's friend of the pod, Jacob Bourne, because it's Juan Toscano Anderson. Yeah, look, b- by the way, this is going to earn him, it earned him points after the already putting him on his team, but just like, he's had just some awesome quotes this season, and we were sent one where he called his mom after signing his contract with the Warriors being converted to an NBA contract. That's just a cool moment. I wish, you know, he definitely is worth more than the, the contract that they they gave him. What I really like about his play style, though, is he is just, like, hustle in bodily form. And we've seen some scary moments, too. I think, did he suffer a concussion on that play where he, like, literally cleared the scorer's table and flipped over? I don't think he did. But and I don't encourage people. I, I would make the business decision and most definitely not go after that ball. But the fact that he will when you're not on the guaranteed contract at the time is incredible to me. And then I do like how he kind of just plugs every single hole just he does i don't know that he does anything exceptionally I, I do think he's really good at holding his own defensively across multiple positions but i'm not even sure are you gonna call him like you know that defense is his specialty i don't know but he gives you range on offense he will put the ball on the floor there too he'll also keep it moving i'm very interested to see moving forward and i think this season has has proven it even though the warriors they're very clearly reluctant to use draymond green at the five they've basically been forced into it as the season has worn on but when Draymond Green is at the five with Juan Toscano-Anderson on the floor, and he's predominantly the four in this situation, they have a the Warriors have a 1,070 possession sample size. They have a net rating of plus 13.3. This is, I like that motto. Like, that's the, if you're going to play Green small, or play, sorry, if you're going to play smaller with Green at the five, I think JTA can sort of help abbreviate the burden that's placed on Draymond Green defensively because he can guard some fives not a ton but if you look at his defensive matchup data according to b-ball index he's defended every single position at least 15 percent of the time this season that versatility that hustle and then the fact i do think he's just an effective gap filler maybe on offense for them not something you're going to turn to to create you take stephen curry off the floor or draymond and draymond green or draymond green even though they don't really split those two up yeah he's going to be put at a disadvantage he does need other creators around him but I also don't think he's someone who's going to hurt you too much. And I'm so interested to track his career moving forward. He's also a sneaky good passer. 4.8 assists per 36 minutes with minimal turnovers is pretty solid. And they're coming from those swings around the perimeter that the Warriors love to find relocating shooters. They're coming off the short roll and they're coming in a wider variety of ways as the season has progressed. I think there's more there than we've seen to this point, which just gives the Warriors another fun element with this 6-6 versatile wing. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I mentioned it with keeping the ball moving, but there's some flair to the passes too. 
where it's, you know, he's not always going to throw him off the dribble, but like, he's going to let you know that he's throwing this quickly right off the catch. To me, if I had to pick one player in the NBA where it's like, given what we've seen this season, you just, and I'm only talking about watching how they play and how they approach the game. If you had to just find that one guy who you just can't help but root for, I think JTA is my choice this year. Yeah, he would be up there for me, for sure, if not the outright pick. Another guy who would be high up there is the second-team center. Uh, he appeared on the third team for the fans. He was on uh, the second team for me. He did not make your ballot, though I'm sure you at least considered him because it's Bam Adebayo. Yeah, I love his feet. He has happy feet. That he does, and they let him stay with everyone. Like, you talk about switchability, and you see it from guys like Nicholas Claxton. You see it from other other wings like Draymond Green or Kawhi Leonard, kind of those pseudo wing bigs. But if you want to talk about that one through five switchability from a high minutes guy, it's Bam Adebayo. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. I was interested in what your thoughts were. We haven't done all defense teams yet, but he had commented at the end of uh, did the Heat beat the Celtics, whatever. It was a TNT game last Thursday where he said he thinks he's defensive player of the year. I think that's very clearly going to go to Rudy Gobert. But is he is he going to finish third on the ballot? For for DPOY, maybe just because of the sheer minutes he's played. For all defensive, I think that he's behind Miles Turner as well. But there's all defense doesn't care about position, so he probably has a better chance of making right. one of those ten spots for sure. Agreed. Agreed. But yeah, I don't know. I think that Rudy Gobert is the obvious winner. I don't think that's a spoiler at all for the upcoming awards episode. Again, tune in Sunday, 4 p.m. on Locker Room. Um, it would make Bam infinitely more watchable if he cared about scoring more. I'm not saying he doesn't care, but if he was more selfish, maybe it might be the way to put it. Yeah, but we've talked about that on a mailbag episode, and I, I still push back on that a little bit. I don't think that being more – it's like – it's kind of like LeBron in crunch time where, you know, I'm not comparing you to Skip Bayless, first of all. Let me let me make that clear. <laughs> I'm, I'm nervous to hear what you say now that that was the qualifier. <laughs> but no, like for years, Skip Bayless has erroneously criticized LeBron James for wanting to pass in the biggest moments. And it's not that LeBron is scared of – drawing contact and having to shoot free throws or having to make the game winner himself. It's that he is a, a robot designed to make the most efficient basketball play in every situation, regardless of what that situation is. And I think there's some of that in Bam where like, he's just so conditioned to playing the right way that if you ask him to be more aggressive, it might work, but it might come at the detriment to the team. And I, I don't know, like I think he's going to be, a 25 point per game scorer, just as he gets naturally better at finding mid range jumpers and maybe the occasional three or generating contact within the flow of the offense. But I don't know if I want him to be that takeover looks to get his own points first kind of guy. That's fair. And that's, that's like why I have him here too, just I, because I, I really appreciate that kind of style. You're also you're the one that said he is best player in the league potential or top five player. I think he does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, given that plus that one through five switchability, like, I I don't think he's going to be the best player in the NBA. 
to be clear. Like, I don't think that he's ever going to hit that that ceiling. I think that ceiling exists. I think that there's a reasonable out, out future outcome where he has a season where he's the best player in the league. I don't know if he'll get there, but that is shame Adam for that take. <laughs> Again, I'm saying I don't think it's going to happen, but I don't want to rule out that possibility. He's good. I do enjoy watching Bam Adebayo. I, I consider Jimmy Butler too as well, by the way. He didn't make my ballot at all, but you talk about someone who plays with sort of a Giannis, Russell Westbrook type edge to him at both ends of the floor. He's definitely up there. 100%. And he got a lot of love from fans as well. I think uh, Jimmy Butler finished 17th in the overall voting, but forward was just so packed on those ballots that that was not good enough to make any of the three teams. So to recap, though, the first team on the composite is Steph Curry, LaMelo Ball, Zion Williamson, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic. The second team is Russell Westbrook, Luka Doncic, Nicholas Claxton, Juan Toscano-Anderson, and Bam Adebayo, which brings us to the third team. And our first guard on the third team also happened to be the first overall pick of the most recent NBA draft, and that is Anthony Edwards, who in a huge 180 was single-handedly carried to this position by me because I had him on my second team. Uh, he did finish 19th, one spot ahead, or he was tied with Bam Adebayo, um, for 19th among fans, which was one spot ahead of LeBron James. Um, I feel like I have to justify this because I notoriously hated on the selection and actually went as far as saying that I wouldn't want to take him in the lottery. And I have, I have eaten those words on a number of occasions. Uh, I have very publicly renounced that take on my Twitter account. Um, and I, I regret saying it, but I don't regret like, coming to that conclusion because I didn't really enjoy watching him play in college, despite him playing for the school that I went to um, the growth that he's shown the joy on the basketball court, the displays of athleticism. Like it's beyond clear watching him, especially since the all-star break, he just gets it now. Like he is finding himself in the right positions on both ends of the floor more. The energy level is more consistent, still not a hundred percent, but more consistent. He's taking better shots. He's making more shots. He's getting the line more. He's involving his teammates more. Just the improvement is staggering and it has completely changed how I felt about him to the point that I can just wholeheartedly enjoy those displays of athleticism now. And beyond that, the quotes that he's given, the interviews that he's given, the viral moments that he's given. Talk about a player who knows who he is and is true to himself and is not afraid to be himself. And that is so refreshing in a world where there's so much cliche athlete speak to have somebody just willing to, to speak his mind and say that he doesn't know who Alex Rodriguez is or that, you know, he thinks he could still throw a hundred mile per hour pitch if you gave him a month to ramp up to that, despite not knowing who Alex Rodriguez is just the honesty, the openness is so refreshing, especially coupled with this style of play. Yeah. And his, you mentioned the quotes thing would be the only thing I could add on top of that. I think my favorite one, definitely a one from day one, that entire video, if no one's seen the interview was fantastic, but his most recent one where he said, he's going to travel to Spain to learn Spanish just so he could understand what Ricky Rubio and Juan Hernan Gomez are are talking about i found that it's just fantastic. fantastic yeah he's 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 great i'm sure you at least considered him right he did not make my initial list my my big list of players no oh really maybe okay. i was tainted by the fact that i already knew you had him on yours it's possible but you I, did well, have 
I had to figure out two to three spots to fit Chris Boucher in. So that was... that's fair. That's fair. Because he hustles so much, he can fit all of them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I see what I see what you're doing there. But you did have a member of the rookie class beyond Lamelo Ball on your second team, because you single-handedly carried Tyrese Halliburton into the second guard spot on our third team, which means that we have three rookie guards on the All Herdwood Knox team. Maybe we're paying too much attention to rookies just because that's part of the job. Is honestly though, I, I'm not surprised that we went that way because. By definition, rookies are new to the league. They're fresh. They're exciting. We're discovering more about them than we're discovering about veterans. Yeah, that's a that's a good point. With Tyrese Halliburton, though, I don't think his game is going to disarm you. Not even in the way that you know Juan Toscano Anderson is not Giannis or Russ, but Tyrese Halliburton is even less so. Like that, I'm not. He does hustle, but it's not the same. It's not in the same vein as Juan Toscano Anderson, he's just so fundamentally sound, but there's, that's not even just why I picked him. It's the disarmingness with which he can play goading opponents into a steal, just like being a lull in his stance, but then being able to poke the ball away or jump the passing lane when he's working off the dribble on offense, being able to change his speed, being able to hit shots off the dribble. Maybe there is a fascination bump at play here where I'm saying there should not be a rookie who's this good at both ends of the floor already. I'm also married to the idea that he can be an all-star in this league where people have said when talking about the rookie of the year conversation specifically, they didn't want to bump him over LaMelo Ball when it looked like LaMelo might not play again this season. They didn't even want to put him above Anthony Edwards, I feel like now, a lot of people as the runner-up because those two have higher ceilings. Great, grand, I'm not ready to write off that he is going to be an all-star, all-NBA type player because when you're this fundamentally sound as a rookie, why does the implication have to be because you're not you know, throwing these highlight real passes all the time, or you're not hitting these as many off the dribble jumpers as Anthony Edwards, who has probably missed more off the dribble jumpers than Tyrese Albert has even taken this year. Why does the implication have to be that you're somehow going to, to top out? And do I think he has as high as a ceiling as Anthony Edwards or the low ball? I would skew towards no at the moment, but this looks like it might be a star in the making. And I don't know that I have a comp for him. I think I called him on the last podcast. What if Manu Ginobili played within the confines of himself? I don't know that that's perfect, but I love Tyrese Halliburton. He's one of the the foremost reasons I've watched the Kings at all this year because they haven't given you, I guess, individually some reasons. I love the Aaron Fox. Rashawn Holmes is fun as hell. But Tyrese Halliburton, before his injury, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I, I originally had him on my third team. He was the last player cut because I had to give credit to my favorite player of all time, who we haven't gotten to yet. Uh, The fans also did give him some credit. He finished 33rd, and I should say that 153 different players showed up on the fans' ballots. So finishing 33rd is pretty solid, and I don't really have much to add to your description of why he's here. I just want to share that he's part of the most naturally grouped together players imaginable to finish on, on in this with the same amount of points from these fan ballots. And that group is comprised of Tyrese Halliburton, Nikola Vucevic, Devin Booker, and Bull Bull. Ooh. So, you know, of course you're going to put that foursome together. It just makes sense, right? 100%. Bull Bull's, yeah. I like that deep cut. I don't know. I tried to focus on players who are getting at least a modicum of com- consistent playing time, but, but Bull Bull's, <laughs> I respect whoever put Bull Bull on the ballot. Absolutely. Uh, So that brings us to our first of the third team forwards. 
And in keeping with the theme, since I single-handedly put Anthony Edwards there, you single-handedly put Tyrese Halliburton there, the fans single-handedly put Julius Randle there. I will say it was really tough for me to keep him off because he's made the Knicks infinitely more watchable and more competitive. The The spin move to baseline fadeaway does not get old. The aggression, the last second, I think Zach Lowe called it the 11th hour passing. Um, the the everything, the defensive improvement. Like he, I really struggled not including him here. He's 100% among my honorable mentions. But again, this is solely the fans. Fifth place overall, a member of their first team. Yeah, Julius Randle's been eminently enjoyable. I think his passing that you mentioned that Zach Lowe was written about, where he leaves his feet and is throwing these passes, has been most fun. And the difficult jumpers he's hitting, it's I, I will be interested to see if this holds next year when it's not a pan or as affected by the pandemic type of season. But Julius Randle's been an absolute monster this year. I think he's a shoe-in for all NBA at this point. The way that yeah. they classify players, I don't know that he has a shot at second team anymore just because what happens if people use Luka Doncic as a forward or Embiid or Jokic as a forward to get both of them on the first team. I'll be shocked if he doesn't make the third team, though. Um, I, I think it's definitely a worthy choice. I don't know that I consider him like one of the most enjoyable players in the league to watch for me. The, I will say the level of difficulty on his role is just magnetic, and that's what I enjoy watching most about how he's thriving. Is This is just... What he's doing is not easy. The results aren't always great. We've seen it in crunch time a lot this year. Uh, we saw it in one of the Knicks' more recent losses, too. Could he stand? You know, his in-between game can go off the rail sometimes. But You talked about the baseline jumper already, the step-back threes, just the, the everything. And I, I think you have to appreciate when players are in this very compli- it's complicated role. It's why I was such an advocate for Shea Gilders-Alexander being a most-improved player candidate before he had um, a torn plantar fascia on his right foot was just the level of difficulty ascribed to his role right now is through the roof. And it's the same thing with Julius Randle. He's putting up LeBron-esque numbers when you're looking at scoring and assists and rebounding more, obviously. It's, it's been amazing, and it's been, it has been, to steal a phrase from before, fun as hell to watch. So my, my question for you, and I want to preface this by saying that I'm in no way trying to diminish the impact that Tom Thibodeau has had as a coach, that R.J. Barrett's, incredible improvement has had that Derek Rose's play lately has had, but is Julius Randall single-handedly responsible for reinvigorating the entire Knicks franchise or is that too hyperbolic? I think it's a tad over the top. Just, I think what Tom Thibodeau has done for them has really helped defensively because that's been the, the driving force of their success this year. Right. They're still not a great offense and they've been better. They've been like top 10 efficiency since April 1st or whatever it is. But I also just, the improvement of R.J. Barrett at both ends, what they've got, they made some really smart one-year signings over the offseason when you look at no one's Noel, Alec Burks. I, so I don't, he's one of the two biggest reasons why the Knicks are where they are right now. And that's the, the if there's a reason bigger than him, I don't know that it's an individual player so much as the culture that's been laid down there or their overall defensive play and hustle. Yeah, I don't, I, I still don't know that I think it's that hyperbolic just because while giving due credit to all of the other factors, he's the talking point, right? Like the Knicks are a prominent figure within typical NBA conversations these days. And it centers around him. 
Like he's the reason that they're becoming must-watch television. He's the one whose highlights you're going to see. He's the one who's getting fringe MVP talk and all NBA consideration and most improved player love, of course. Like I, I just think because so much of the narrative has featured him that it's allowed the conversations about the Knicks to shift tone entirely. Yeah, that's, that is a great way to put it. And there's also the element of has he given them the foundational star that they need for this to be sustainable and also real enough for them to build upon it moving forward. There's right. no even with RJ Barrett, I think you can reasonably assume that yeah, maybe he does still have that all-star ceiling. I mean, we had a RJ Barrett versus John Morant debate at one point on this podcast. Julius Randle's still probably your best shot just looking at what he does as a passer and shot creator at having that player in tow. So I I totally understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. So let's move on to our second of the third team forwards. Again, single-handedly carried by the fans who had Joel Embiid in sixth overall. Uh, he was an honorable mention for me. He was not on yours either. Um, but still, obviously, a deserving candidate just for the sheer defensive terror that he exerts on a nightly basis. I've used a nightly basis a lot on this pod. It's okay. I'll use fun as hell at least three more times to make you cool. feel better. Thank you. Were you surprised he made the list? Yes. Me too. Yeah, I think that he it's it's universally accepted just how good he is. But he gets a lot of hate. There are fan bases that can't stand him. There were no like Sixers heavy submissions like Ben Simmons, for example, did not get a lot of love on the fan votes. So, yeah, I, I think I was a little surprised that the reception was so universally positive from an entertainment standpoint that he was very close to earning a first team spot on the fan ballot because of that forward eligibility. I will say if we were factoring in post-game Instagram locations, Joel Embiid would probably be first team. That's fair. But yeah, I mean, I, I I had him on my honorable mention list. I don't know that I really gave much thought to including him. Yeah, I gave more thought to guys like, and this is a spoiler, like Damian Lillard is someone who didn't make the cut for me. Even Chris Paul a little bit was on there. And Joel Embiid's fantastic. I do appreciate defense. I probably enjoy watching him on defense a little bit more than I do his offense, although his shooting's been out of this world, and when he's hitting off the dribble jumpers, perhaps that's not true. So I retract yeah. that statement. <laughs> yeah, again, I don't mind that he's included here. Obviously, like he's an unquestionable MVP candidate, shouldn't win over Jokic, but absolutely deserves to be one of the most prominent candidates out there. He should get second place votes for defensive player of the year from a lot of people. He is an incredible basketball player. Who's really entertaining, but I still didn't really consider him over a lot of the hustle guys at center. So how do we want to do this now? Do you want to recap overall, then go through the fans, then go through. Let's wait to recap. Let's go through the people we didn't mention on each ballot, starting with the fans. So we can both kind of talk about those and then we'll go through the players on yours who weren't mentioned. And then mine. Sounds good to me. So the fans had the following players who did not appear on the composite rankings, as you probably just heard since we're making up the plan as we go. Uh, second team forward, Kevin Durant. Surprised? No. If he, I might have put him on there if he had played more this season. He's so, That's what it was for me. I, I probably also would have liked to see him have a little bit more control over the game. 
but at the same time there's the effortlessness which with which he can score 30 plus points is mesmerizing if you if aliens landed on the planet and asked us just to like teach them about the aesthetics of scoring basketball you're probably telling them to watch tape of Steph and Katie. Yeah. The mothership, I'm always worried, is going to call one of those two home, for sure. And look, the other thing, and I wouldn't begrudge anyone who did this, having been able to watch Katie play basketball this season. Would Clay Thompson have made my list? Just been able to... If, right. If he all of a sudden That's returned, totally valid. Yeah. Totally if he valid. Returned, like, the night before we did this, he would have been first team for me. So I totally yeah. get that as yeah, well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, on the third team, at guard, they had Damian Lillard. My I last think cut. that's from this process yeah it's it's such a tough one one of my all-time favorites like one of our absolute go to war for this player selections uh that's the next that's the next hard one not the the all follow them into hell and back let's do it we should definitely do that at some point i i already know who would be on your team um their other guard was facundo Campazzo. i don't hate that one at all you know the peskiness he plays defense with which he plays defense the highlight real passes is almost unfair to have him and Jokic on the court together right. just in terms of aesthetic passing i totally get that selection he was on my honorable honorable mentions i actually like that the fans did that type of a it's not super deep i do too but it's a deep cut for it's sure. a pretty deep, it's a pretty deep cut well i didn't want to say by no means a household name yeah i didn't want to make it seem like people don't know who he is though i was trying to give the fans credit here but that's a deep right that's a that's a deep cut relative to i mean Relative to all the other names on this list for them, for the, we call them Absolutely. fans, but how many people hate, follow, listen to this? So the followers might be a better way to put them. I'm going to keep calling them fans. Fair enough. I, be I love that. that. That's my favorite fan selection, probably aside from Damian Lillard, just because I had so much invested in him. Oh yeah. It's, it's a great one for sure. Um, not the only nugget on the third team because Michael Porter Jr. also made it again. I'm not surprised. Like, a guy who can put up 30 points and is just ultra flammable. One of the prettiest jump shots you'll find out there. Just getting better at those relocation threes at creating off the dribble. He's an offensive machine. He is. And look, if he can, they've already increased his on-ball responsibility. If he ever becomes more of a creator, it'd be easy to, you know, if you like watching KD, then yeah, you're going to like watching Michael Porter Jr. It's not a perfect correlation, but like just the size and their, the potential that you could see with him on the ball, creating his own shot. Like there are similarities there. Right. And then rounding out the fans team for players that we have not yet talked about is Kawhi Leonard. And I'll admit this is one that did not appear on my honorable mentions. He's amazing. Like just absolutely a two way terror. There are moments during the playoffs when he is like the best reincarnation imaginable of Michael Jordan, just the way that he elevates for those off the dribble jumpers, the intensity on defense. But at the same time, like personally, and I don't know how you feel. I find that my expression watching Kawhi Leonard is often similar to the one that he has on his face because he's so smoothly efficient and calm and collected that my eyes kind of glaze over a little bit because I just know that he's going to do good things. I would almost say it's the opposite for me because I, I already mentioned that I like the deliberateness that he operates with. At the same time, this is like a player where it's, what if Tim Duncan gave you highlight dunks every once in a while, uh, you know, coming down, coming down the lane type deal because he's just so to see the way he plays and how much he wants to get to that jumper and take the difficult jumpers. But then also he's going to have like those somewhat wild finishes or finish above the rim and the reaction is just 99.9% of the time never going to be there. 
it can take you off guard when he actually finishes a play like that. But then the to appreciate just the non-reaction from him when he does it, or if it's just a clutch jumper or something, that's definitely injects some watchability into him in my opinion. It does. It does. And he's super watchable, and I like watching him. But I just have to remind myself that, like, it's okay to be excited. Fair enough. I do th- – he – and also, he can steal people's souls on defense in a way that no one else on the perimeter can. And I think that has to be – that's part of it, too, for me. For sure. For sure. Definitely a worthy inclusion. Do you want to do yours or mine next? So I, my entire third team, I realized I have to go through. So would you rather do that first or last? Is basically... Let's do that last. Let's All do right, that so last. You're up. So I'm up. On my second team, I had Fred Van Vliet at guard. I love – the defensive acumen that he brings. I love those ripaways from bigger players. I love the peskiness on the perimeter. He's also a really smooth offensive player with a well-rounded three-level scoring game at this point. He, I, I think he's veering towards that most underrated player in the league category. Just like his predecessor? Just like his predecessor. Or I guess running mate? Oh, wow. I hope I didn't just send Kyle Lowry out of Toronto. I really want him to stay. We uh, Yeah, but I, I view that less as Kyle Lowry moving away from the Raptors and more as him vacating that number one spot. I, Fred Van Fleet was one of my final cuts, too. So I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Relentlessly entertaining. Uh, my my second team forward, who was not mentioned, is Jay Sean Tate. I just absolutely love the hustle he plays with. The length is so readily apparent because he's already such a smart defensive presence. Very few first-year players, even if he's a delayed first-year player because he went undrafted in 2018 and played overseas first before getting his chance in the NBA, very few first-year NBA players are this intelligent in passing lanes and are able to be so disruptive as off-ball defenders. And that paired with his hustle, I actually had to debate between him and Giannis for my first-team forward spot. Wow. I love watching him. He's grown on me so fast. That is, uh, I get it. In the spirit of the exercise, I think that's totally just five. I just don't know that that, I'm surprised that that's the player that you ended up zeroing in on there to that extent. Yeah, he and Kevin Porter Jr., who was a tough exclusion for me, both have just made the Rockets watchable, even as they're bad. I would I would have definitely went with Kevin Porter Jr., just his the, the nuclearness on off offense. The 50 point game. Yeah. I mean, there, there's something to be said for that for sure. Moving to my third team though. Um, my all time favorite player, Chris Paul. I know that's not a popular all time favorite player choice, but as grading as the complaining can be. And like some of the dirtier plays that dude is just a basketball savant. And it is so fun watching him refuse to decline as Almost every point guard has before him moving deeper into his 30s because he can get to whatever spot he chooses. You know he's going to connect on those snake around, pull up jumpers from the elbows. He makes everyone around him better. He is, you know, you've, you've talked about him versus Devin Booker in MVP conversations and stuff. And he should not win MVP, but he should be in the conversation because of the impact that he's had. So the fact that he's still playing at such a high level and elevating a franchise that has been down in the dumps for so long, he's continues to be a joy. And I continue to just absolutely love watching him. He was on my honorable. If I had honorable mentions, he was one of my semifinal cuts. There's the troll factor for me too. Just he, it doesn't, he could be friends with them. We saw it with Donovan Mitchell earlier in the season, him and Donovan Mitchell were close off the court but he's trolling Donovan Mitchell at the free throw line. It's just, I love that. And I know it's probably, he can definitely, we've seen him wear on teammates 
and he definitely is going to wear on opponents. I don't care. I, I just, I love that kind of FU that he brings. And he is, I don't, I don't want to say he's ironic, but he just, he knows that he's a, a nudge and he's just going to keep doing it. And he's going to try and get under your skin. Absolutely. And I, I think there's something to the idea that he's not the easiest locker room presence. He is not the easiest teammate, but the way I've always looked at that because it stems from just this relentless competitive drive and is validated by the way he plays is to me, that says more about the guy who can't get along with him than it does about Paul. That's fair. My next third team selection who has not yet been mentioned is San Antonio Spurs forward, Keldon Johnson, maybe more of a swingman than a forward. I, I loved a comparison that Nikias Duncan made on Twitter maybe a few weeks ago at this point, where he said that Keldon Johnson might be the closest thing we've seen to peak Gerald Wallace. I love that comparison. Just like the crash towards the basket, play with this reckless abandon that more often than not works out. You know that he's always going to be willing to sacrifice his body to barrel towards the basket, regardless of the contact that he's going to endure. I just... I really have enjoyed watching this not quite star turn, but turn towards a productive starter for one of the model organizations that began in the bubble and has continued throughout this season. I'm with it. We need a better nickname for him though. He's called big body and Mustang. Yeah. Those are terrible. We, I don't, I don't have one. I'm just saying we need better ones. <laughs> we should just go with like crash 2.0 or something. I'm, let's be a little bit more creative than that. Do we call yeah, it we probably should be. Is he Bandicoot? And then... I almost said that, too. <laughs> we can go with that. Um, my final inclusion on my third team, who has not been mentioned, is Robert Williams III, the Time Lord. Uh, I wish that he were able to stay on the court more than he is because his game really isn't made for that kind of big-minute role. But when he's on the floor, you know that he's going to be involved in plays. Another one of those like kind of sneakily underrated passers who is adept at least at passing out after collecting an offensive rebound and finding that open man in a situation that so often generates points. But it's it's more about just the number and sheer volume of plays that he's able to impact. I mean, 3.3 blocks and 1.6 steals per 36 minutes. Like I feel like that in and of itself is almost a sufficient justification because he's just so relentlessly active on the off on the, the, the defensive end, not to mention the lob threat nature that he has on offense. I, he was the guy that I was one of the guys that I knew you were just non-stars that I knew you were going to have on your list. You've been caping for Robert Williams since before he was called, but since before he overslept for one of his Celtics workouts or whatever it was. Exactly. And uh, I was pretty close to giving this spot to Nerlens Noel for very similar reasons. Uh, I, I view those two players as incredibly similar ones, but Noel is probably a little bit better and plays for a better team this season, while Williams is a little bit more frenetic, which is kind of what I was going for here. Do you want to re... All right, so I'll go into mine now. We want to do that. Yeah, let's do that. I'm going to try and do mine quicker because I have basically half my ballot or a third <laughs> of my, yeah, basically half my ballot was just, has just been untalked about. So my second team, one of my second team guards, I had Tyrese Halliburton and then I had Kyle Lowry, which is just funny that you had Fred Van Fleet. There is just, he has the Chris Paul type personality where he's going to try and get under opponent's skins, but like he'll, he'll do this weird and sometimes it's shady stuff. 
on defense. I just love it. The sacrificing his body is definitely part of it. But, just you know, like, he'll climb through someone's legs, basically, if he has to. And he verges on reckless there. And it can come at the expense of the player he's guarding or helping onto. But it comes at the expense of himself, too. And so I view it as, that's fair game to me. We all know that he is the captain of your follow to hell and back team. And he should be. Damian Lillard is probably the captain, to be honest. Oh, really? Yeah. That's changed then. That is a new opinion. Okay. Kyle Lowry's up there, for sure. But, and the other thing that I like is just, like, his stardom almost isn't powered by his actual numbers. And, like, his numbers can be good, and he is an all-star by those most metrics, but he is, like, the essence of the Toronto Raptors. It feels like even Fred Van Fleet has subsumed some of Kyle Lowry's approach to the game and just overall personality. For sure. He is the unifier for Toronto. I also love, and you can't say this, not every big name is malleable. And they're definitely not as infectious, as I mentioned with his personality, but he gives Toronto their identity without confining it. He's His hustle and versatility sets the tone for the rest of the team that they visibly follow. But then also it's, yeah, he can, he can run the offense, but he can also play off it. And if you watch him, it's not just him relocating at times for shots. It's him relocating to set screens. He'll set multiple screens on the same possession. That's just not something you see for a six-foot guard. And I love, I just love me some Kyle Lowry, one of my favorite players of all time. I, I still want to push back against the idea that he wouldn't be the captain of that team, though. You know why he would be a great captain? Why? Because he's really good at taking charge. Wow. Moving on to my, <laughs> my second team forward who wasn't mentioned. I apologize. I'm so sorry. I had Kyle Anderson. He is just like the idiosyncrasies of his game. I can't take my eyes off of them. And people have noted this ad nauseum. He plays at a speed entirely his own. But it's almost to the point where defenses are so confounded by how is he playing this slow. I think the implementation of his jumper and you know, his improved three-point shooting, that's been a cool wrinkle to his game. I just love watching him move on the ball because his body mechanics don't make sense to me. And the comparison I've made is he looks like one of those inflatable tube men billowing in the wind of those sketchy car dealerships. I I can't get enough of Kyle Anderson. And I also, he has the, I don't even know who would be the apt comparison. It's probably a current player where it's like, oh, Joe Ingles in his prime being able to keep up with guys on defense, even though he doesn't have the raw physical tools. Kyle Anderson's kind of the same way where he gives you all this positional flexibility because he knows how to use space and angles and just timing just being in the right spot i appreciate that fundamental value but it's it's the weirdness of his offensive game that i just love so much so that's why he's on there i'm not going to say too much just because we're going really long as it is and you have a lot more players to get through but he is like the living basketball embodiment of an ephus pitch like you know when it's coming you know how once the pitcher throws it you know when it's coming you know how slow it's going to be you still can't fucking hit it it's like it's like a changeup and a curveball combined. What is that called? Is there a pitch for that? Off-speed I mean, probably. There are like there are so many different pitch types, but I'm going to stick with my Ephus comparison. Uh, I hope that that well, I, I don't I don't actually don't care. But that's my it's, that's my baseball ignorance shining through. That's totally fine. Let me try. So let me run through these players. The last five on my third team without interruption. I'll try and do it really quick, and then you can comment on the sum of them. That work? Absolutely. I had Dejounte Murray on here. Because, oh my god, I'm talking about Kawhi being able to steal souls on defense. I love the defensive pressure he brings. I'm actually kind of surprised he's not receiving more consensus consideration for all defense this year. I don't know if he's going to be on one of my two teams, but he definitely belongs in there. He's fun to watch in transition, even though it's not the most efficient basketball all the time. And he has the different—I don't think he uses them simultaneously as much, where you see a DeMar DeRozan— 
uh, or Devin Booker can change speeds on the same possession, but he has like different speeds to his game that you don't expect. Definitely more comfortable and less predictable off the dribble this season on offense, which I've also sort of appreciated. My, my other guard on the third team, Devin Booker. Funny you had Chris Paul on yours. I feel like I've tilted so far in the direction of just the Devin Booker bandwagon, like chief Devin Booker bandwagoner among national analysts because Suns fans know how good he is. He has defenses just on a string, and he has a change of pace to his game that I, I think I just said it when I was talking about Murray, that he can bake in on the same possession, where it's when you see guys play up on him, like he can get by them in a way that CP3 really can, where he's looking to get off that mid-range jumper. Yeah, Devin Booker wants to do that. He'll snake into them too, which is something I feel like he's borrowed from CP3. But he also, he will really just blitz past those guys on occasion. I really love his passing. And you can just see the manipulation out of the pick and roll, the decision-making out of double teams. I love when it feels like someone has total control over the defense. And he's missed shots this year, especially in crunch time. I feel like he would normally hit, but I wasn't factoring in purely efficiency when I was picking these teams. I just want... I, I find myself endlessly appreciating how much control and influence he has over the the offensive end. And I do think he throws just some some really smart passes where, no, they're not the flashiest, but you look at it and you're like, well, that shot wouldn't exist if Devin Booker wasn't on the court. Third team forward, this might be the one that catches you off guard the most, even though you already know about it. I had Devin Vassell, and this was one of the, the weird numbers I looked up because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't like overweighting it. I feel like he just never stops moving and that it especially happens on defense. So I looked it up among all the players, and there are 353 of them who have appeared in at least five games and are averaging at least 15 minutes per game. He ranks fifth in average defensive speed. I know that doesn't always translate to good defense. One, I think he's going to be a fantastic defender. But, like, who moves like that that fast on defense? Like, that's not something that just generally happens. And so I think he's going to be great for the Spurs on that end moving forward. I'd like to see more from his offensive game, but there is also the element for him where it's, you know, he's not going to move as, I guess, what do you want to say, quickly on offense because that's just not his game. You're going to need him to hit spot-up threes, and you're going to need him to um, cuts. And so, like, I don't know. He's never going to be that necessarily that quickly, uh, move that as quickly on offense. But, but he does. When you watch him, he could just... The Spurs, if they want, they like to have guys in different iterations of their teams, different iterations of their lineups. They're going to have those guys in constant motion. He is someone who's just going to be all over the place on both ends of the court. And I, that was a terrible way to phrase it to say that he's not going to be as quick on offense. That wasn't really what I was saying. His role on defense is going to be more complicated, was my point. But offensively, like, there's just zip there. I wonder if he'll have more ball skills to plumb, but he's going to, he's going to be a really good two-way player. My final two spots of this exercise to round out the third team, I had F forward Alex Alexei Pokashevsky, Poku. It's not rooted in effectiveness, but it's like, what if Al, you took Allen Iverson, uh, Iverson's confidence and added 12 inches to it? And that's just the shots that he takes, the stuff he tries to do off the dribble. I don't know if it will ever always come together, but he's had moments where it's like, that's a seven-footer dribbling the ball like a guard, moving like a wing. It's it's bizarre. It's weird. It can be a train wreck. I can't take my eyes away from it, and I love it. Infatuated with it. This will look poorly if he doesn't turn into effective player. I think universally we could say everyone on this list is an effective player. Poku is the one from my list you look at and say, I don't know if he'll ever get there, but he's going to be, what is the motto of this podcast? Fun as hell 
along the journey. And finally, I have Nerlens Noel. Is you already mentioned him as an honorable mention among yours? The dude watching him on offense can be rough. Like where he like won't give the ball up if he's under the basket or the stone hands that we've talked about. He is so fun on defense, and the fact that there are no business decisions on that end, he is going to try and contest your poster. And I think this isn't. There's not going to be an official staff for this, but of the contesting posters to successfully contesting posters ratio, he has to have the highest in the league. Like he has stopped so many would be just explosive poster dunks this season and i love watching it and they're not even just oh he's around the basket he's making these plays he is coming into those plays on occasion and then obviously i didn't include him in here this would be my one honorable mention because he has not played enough and i was trying to talk about guys who got minutes frank nilakina i feel vindicated after watching his no look pass the other night and the defense that he plays frank nilakina is on his own list and he takes up all 15 spots of it so my Thoughts in response that are very scattered after your solo podcast there. <laughs> um, my honorable mentions included DeJounte Murray um, and and um, and Nerlens Noel among those five players. So I did think about giving them some love. I thought about the other guys, probably less about Vassell, um, but did at least consider them. You mentioned that uh, Poku is, is like if you took Allen Iverson and added 12 inches that's actually exactly accurate in terms of height because Iverson is, was listed at six foot. I don't think he was actually six foot um, and, and Poku is seven foot, but you would also only be adding 25 pounds, <laughs> which is kind of hilarious. I, AI was listed at 165. Poku is listed at 190. I just also, thought that was worth pointing I'm out. I'm calling bullshit on that. Alan Iverson might be the one that's, that needs to um, have 25 pounds detracted from him. So I'm calling right. bullshit on Poku being almost 200 pounds. If we have yeah. any- yeah, Thunder fans listening to this, we need we need his actual weight. Please find that out for us. Poku, Fair. if you're listening to this, just send me a text. I will also say that you were the only person who had DeJounte Murray or Devin Vassell on even a single ballot, not a single fan vote for either of them. Uh, and then finally, I still just can't get past the missed opportunity that we had because it seemed like there was a chance that Anthony Davis and Nerlens Noel were going to play on the same team. And can you imagine? Oh can God. you imagine that defense? And look, it's still possible. They're going to have their mid-level, and they, they're obsessed with getting bigs for Anthony Davis, and he's going to be a free agent. I would kill to see that. That would be so much fun. But now let's, real fast, let's recap all the teams, because it's been hard to to track who made which one. So let's just run through them real fast. Um, I'll share mine first, where my first team was LaMelo Ball, Steph Curry, Zion Williamson, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic. Second team was Anthony Edwards, Fred Van Vliet, Jay Sean Tate, Nicholas Claxton, Bam Adebayo. Third team was Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, Keldon Johnson, Juan Toscano-Anderson, and Robert Williams III. My first team guards were Stephen Curry, LaMelo Ball, forwards Chris Boucher, Zion Williamson, center Nikola Jokic. My second team in full, Kyle Lowry, Tyrese Halliburton, Kyle Anderson, Juan Toscano-Anderson, Nicholas Claxton. My third team in full, DeJounte Murray, Devin Booker, Devin Vassell, Alexei Pokashevsky, and Nerlens Noel. I like that I had double Kyles in the second team and double Devins in the third team, which is actually an accomplishment because those it are It feels intentional. Teams. Yeah, it was intentional. That's how I did this. Fair enough. The fans team. First team, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Julius Randle, and Nikola Jokic. 
The second team, LaMelo Ball, Russell Westbrook, Kevin Durant, Zion Williamson, Joel Embiid. The third team, at guard, we had Damian Lillard and Facunda Campazzo. At forward, Michael Porter Jr. and Kawhi Leonard. And at center, Bam Adebayo. And all of that means that the first annual all-Hardwood Knox team, at first team, we have Stephen Curry and LaMelo Ball at guard, Zion Williamson and Giannis Antetokounmpo at forward, Nikola Jokic at center. The second team, Russell Westbrook and Luka Doncic at guard, Nicholas Claxton and Juan Toscano-Anderson at forward, and Bam Adebayo at center. And at the third team, we have Anthony Edwards and Tyrese Halliburton in a rookie pairing at guard, Julius Randle and Joel Embiid at forward, and Chris Boucher as our center. It's great that he made it as a center, even though I put him as a forward. Yeah, I was just pigeonholing guys in as I could to get the ones who had the highest scores. He deserved to be there. That's why I put him on first team, to ensure that I could skew the scores enough that he would make and it. you did it. You succeeded at that task. That does it for us. I hope everyone enjoyed this near 90-minute podcast. It was it was fun for us. This was an enjoyable exercise and will now be an annual thing. As per usual, please, please, pretty please, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. If you use iTunes, if you don't use iTunes, either or, head over there, search Hardware Knox, throw us a five-star rating, write a review. Those numbers have been a little bit stagnant lately, but the ratings and reviews help us a ton. So head over there, five-star rating, write whatever the hell you want in the reviews. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow our YouTube channel. Go to YouTube.com, search Hardware Knox, we'll come up. Follow the Sports Math Network at the underscore sports underscore math. Until next time, leave it to shout out. What are you whispering at me, Adam? I'm trying to get out of here. I'm trying to subconsciously influence your shout-out. Oh, until next time, we leave you with a shout-out to the one, the only. I have to do it. It's not going to be the only one. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.